Welcome to Mataku Talks. This is uh, episode number four and the second for episode for 2021. I'm Seamus Donahue, the VP of Sales and Business Development at Mataku. And Mataku Talks is a, a bi-weekly discussion, topical discussion on cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Uh, importantly, it's a live stream conversation. It's meant to be interactive. So if you're joined in the live session, please comment, ask questions, and we'll try to include those as we go. Um, post the recording, post this uh, live streaming. The recordings can be found on our website, but also on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So please subscribe so you can join future events. And if you like what you hear, please re- leave a review. Um, I'm pleased to welcome today Thomas Nageli, attorney to law, Nageli Attorneys in Liechtenstein. Uh, Thomas advises international finance, technology, and industrial enterprises, operating the fields of blockchain, DLT, telecommunications, internet, as well as public institutions, and we'll go into that much deeper. And as a Liechtenstein attorney and being a, a software developer, a unique sort of a set of skills, he focuses on internet, IT law, as well as civil and corporate law. He was a member of the Blockchain Act Working Group. Uh, Thomas, welcome. Welcome to Mataku Talks today. Seamus, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Great. Well, you know, it's been a, a very fast-paced start to 2021 in many senses. You know, we look look overseas, look, we've got a brand new U.S. administration, a lot of regulatory leadership appointments switching over there. Um, in Europe, obviously, there's a lot of things happening. In the crypto markets themselves, we've had new highs across cryptocurrencies, which have since seen percentage-wise large, large corrections. And despite the dominant narrative of late 2020 of institutionalization, as soon as the market's correct, it seems to bring out all the FUD and, uh, you know, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt skeptics that say it's over. This is a criminal asset that will be banned. But, you know, I think whenever, you know, everyone needs their moment in the sunshine, but it seems that the institutionalization in no small part has been driven by regulation. Um, and obviously you've been very involved in that. And regulated firms are the on-ramps and off-ramps to financial markets. And they obviously can dramatically impact the adoption of crypto markets. So it, it's key development. Um, you've been an active participant in, with legislators to bring these assets in the regulatory fold. And it'd be great to dive into that journey in, you know, in Liechtenstein, how you know how how you, that legislation impacted EU and vice versa? Discuss the new EU regs and how you expect that to impact uh, markets going forward. But, but before we start, many of our viewers may not may not be necessarily that familiar with Liechtenstein, so it'd be great if you could introduce the the country. Basically, put so it in we context. have a three hours webinar now with all <laughs> the topics we have to cover. <laughs> we'll try exactly. Our- <laughs> No, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I, I think it makes sense that we uh, just have a, a, a very uh, short look at uh, the situation of Liechtenstein because it is crucial to understand where we are coming actually from. Um, I will just uh, um, give you a little bit of a background. Liechtenstein is a principality in the heart of Europe. So we are bordering actually uh, Switzerland and Austria. Uh, it's a 30 minutes car drive to Germany. So we are really in the center of Europe. Um, as I said, uh, it is a principality, uh, so we have a prince, but we have a very strong, um, like besides that, what is uh, Liechtenstein always uh, also famous for is uh, the financial center. Uh, given the size of um, 160 square kilometers, we, we have uh, 15 banks, fund companies, 400 trust companies, which is uh, compared uh, or given the size, quite uh, quite uh, a big uh, industry in Liechtenstein. And... Um, yeah, we, don't, we don't have any state debt. Uh, we have uh, 21,000 commuters every day commuting to Liechtenstein. Um, and as I said, 38,000 inhabitants approximately. 
um, which is just to give you a little bit of an idea. I mean, yes, smaller countries are able to have regulation quite fast in comparison to big uh, jurisdictions, that's for sure. I think what is really crucial uh, and, and that uh, you should understand why we will maybe later talk a little bit about the developments on the European Union level. Liechtenstein is a member of the European Economic Area. So um, we, we have access uh, to the European Union single market through passporting, for example, when it comes to certain financial market services. Um, but we also have to adopt uh, uh, legislation coming out of Europe. So it's a two-sided sword, if you want to call it that way. We also have special agreements with Switzerland. So it's really like, uh, this is the unique uh, uh, situation of Liechtenstein having access to Switzerland and the European uh, Union. Uh, yeah, I think if that's, that makes sense. I feel like booking a trip just looking at these pictures. Great, <laughs> thanks thank, thank for the introduction. I mean, one of the reasons people have probably heard about Liechtenstein before this is, uh, you know, it's you have, your country has has been a pioneer in in the regulation of crypto. It set a lot of it set a great precedent for others to follow. Now, I think one of the questions is how involved how involved have you been in helping shape that legislation? What what have been the key legislations, and what do you see as the benefits to Liechtenstein? So since uh, 1st of 2020, 1st of January 2020, we have the uh, Liechtenstein Blockchain Act um, in force in Liechtenstein. It's actually Token and Trusted Technology Service Providers Act is uh, the right term of that uh, legislation. And um, Liechtenstein started 2016 a work group uh, to think about regulation in the cryptocurrency space and blockchain space, actually. And I was a member of that work group. And... Um, the first question actually the, the government asked is, do we need regulation? That's that were actually the, the corner where we're coming from, because in the end, you know, like with new uh, developments, specifically when it comes to technology, in most cases, it might make sense to regulate it quite intensely in the beginning, because like we all know, it will hinder innovation. So yep. the idea was to analyze and, and to think about if regulation is needed. And uh, one of the solutions we saw in other jurisdictions, um, in, in, uh, also in Europe, that they that they thought about, okay, there's this new development. We have to uh, we have to have additional legislation uh, to provide investor protection rules, for example, or to expand them to these new developments as well. And we said, like, um, okay. If you analyze that technology a little bit um, in more detail, and um, if you do a deep dive, actually, you will understand, or you might come to the conclusion, and Liechtenstein did that, that it's much more. It's much more than just issuing cryptocurrencies or using cryptocurrencies for means of payment. Uh, as we all know, I think uh, now, one, I think it's pretty clear that uh, even like the big picture shows us that it's, yes, it is much more than just cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And so the Liechtenstein, um, approach was actually to, to think about uh, where we, this could actually end up. And the vision was to have a token economy. So uh, to have a lot of assets, which are at the moment not bankable, make them bankable uh, and provide uh, actually the proper legal framework to make that happen. Because in quite a lot of cases, you see that uh, the, the regulatory environment is not supporting uh, um, actually the, the, the technology technological development, yeah. it's actually hindering because uh, if you transfer, and that was actually a very simple question, if you transfer a token, it's represented right to transfer it. And from a, from a civil law perspective, it's just not the case in most cases, mm. you know? And so you need this legal uh, certainty. And th that was actually the idea of that work group to draft the legislation um, with the, to support the vision of the tokenization of assets to have that token economy flourish. Um, and that was actually the background of, of that work group. And in the end, uh, the, uh, the, the idea behind the Blockchain Act. Interesting, I mean, it, it begs the question, I think, to, to ask how do you get into the crypto space to start with? Because obviously, what well, from your profile that uh, you were 
you're a software developer and a lawyer, unusual set of skills, cross skills. So was it turning law into code that interested you? Hopefully I'm a better lawyer than I'm a coder because I'm a horrible coder. <laughs> that is okay. true. But I have a little bit of, of, of knowledge and I did that almost 10 years. That's, that, that is true. Um, but I, I think like um, if others uh, were talking about like me and I, I heard it quite a lot of times, they refer to me in English as a tech person. Um, I know the German word for that, but I think that's, that's like the suitable term or a suitable description uh, because I, I love technology. I, I, I grew up with technology. I, I always tried to, I was more interested in setting up PCs um, and uh, make computer games running than really play them. So I was, I was always on the development side and, and the manufacturing and construction side. So I was really interested in the technology all the time. And um, 2011, actually, when I was uh, studying law in Vienna, uh, I, I came across this new internet money. Um, and I said, that's really fascinating. But the technology fascinated me. I was not interested in the, in the legal uh, like questions around that. And 2013, I, I thought about uh, writing a PhD. And I, for me, it was pretty clear that's the best topic you can ever think of. And that's a funny story because I, I, I went to my former boss and I said, like, uh, I want to write my PhD in that area. I just want to inform you, you know, like it will be something uh, between technology law and financial market laws. And we're like, no, Thomas, don't do that. Uh, write about something which you can actually earn money with or which is of purpose, like write about foundation laws. And I said, yeah, but that's not what interests me. And, and I, 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 I stick to that topic. And uh, I mean, we all know, I think it was not the baddest idea. Well, I think you've, you've come into a very interesting space. So I imagine it's remained to be an exciting, stimulating topic to have started the journey down. Um, you know, given, given the leadership position of Liechtenstein and, and the legislation, there are things like the, you know, the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act, as we said, has really been pioneering in terms of, um, you know, uh, pioneering for the rest of the EU potentially. You know, we've got the Mika draft legislation out. How do you see that the Liechtenstein um, act itself or the, the policy regulations that we put in place and Liechtenstein have potentially impacted the Mika regulation. How do you expect the Mika regulation to impact what's already been legislated in, in uh, Liechtenstein? I think um, that's, I mean, that's what we did as well. When, when we started to think about regulation, what you do in a space where there is no regulation, there is no experience, what you do is you look what others do. Uh, and uh, I think there is no bad piece of legislation in general. I mean, you can learn from every example. You, you, I mean, because people are were considering quite a lot of things. And if, if you look at the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act, it, it is a very com, uh, comprehensive approach. It has quite a lot of things already covered. And um, we did presentations together uh, in, in, in Brussels. Uh, the uh, Dr. Thomas Zinser from the, uh, from the government of Liechtenstein uh, did a presentation there as well. And there were members of the European Commission um, uh, also there. And um, it, it was in, uh, in autumn, I think it was in October, that uh, Joachim Schwerin from the European Com Commission was in Liechtenstein presenting uh, the Mika, uh, the draft of Mika. And he, he said that they analyzed the Liechtenstein blockchain at quite, uh, quite intense. And, and, they, and they, um, uh, they, they thought that that's one of the, the, the better than not the best example, actually. Um, or, um, and if we analyze, like, what, what, for example, the, the, the center of the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act is, is, a legal, uh, is a legal definition of a token. And if you, if you look at how Mika is constructed, it's also uh, defining tokens, like different kind of crypto assets. 
Um, and then around that, uh, talking about services you can provide with, what are the requirements that you're able to provide that. Uh, and they have a clear distinction between the securities world and the non-securities world, which we exactly, uh, like that's exactly the same uh, with, with the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act. So therefore, uh, yes, I, I think they, they had, and that's what they said, they had a close look at it. And, and I think some of the concept, at least, in my point of view, and I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Liechtenstein uh, legislation, yes, the, you, you will find quite some, some uh, ideas in the Mika regulation as well. And do you think, you know, having done that dive into Mika, I mean, do you think there's more, more the EU could do to, to help accelerate the adoption of digital, digital assets? There's always more you can do. Yeah. I mean, but um, if you put that into perspective, like given the, the overall um, impacts this technology has. I mean, everybody in that bubble, and I think I consider myself to live in that bubble as well, because <laughs> when I talk to, to to anybody, even like in my private life, everybody wants to talk to, with me about like now, given the, yeah. the price at the moment, everybody's talking about Bitcoin and, and Ethereum again. Yeah. Uh, but like you talk uh, on a daily basis about that. And um, so, yes, you, but, but in, in like on a global scale, it's just, it doesn't matter to be very honest, you know? And that a European commission is, is actually proposing a draft uh, mm. for, for something which is not already like really important, you know, yeah, is a that's... very big thing. And uh, yes, they can, sure, it has to evolve, sure, it has to be amended, pretty sure. I'm, I'm sure that's, that's yeah. the beginning, it's not the end. But it is a very, very strong signal from the European commission, and the, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's what's your view based on that versus the rest of the world? Is, is this a space what we've seen? Let's say um, the U.S. is typically a leader in the technology, or is viewed often as a leader in the technology space. Is this a, a sector within the technology space that, given the forward actions of the legislators here, that Europe could potentially lead in? Yes, and and, and I hope yeah. they they really follow that path because I think now we 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 have like with the situation we have now. We have everything what it would need that we can that we can go on with leading that that that, that yeah. industry or that area, but uh, we we should not be afraid of 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 going further. You know, it's um, as we all know it, there there will be challenges and there will be more and more challenges. I mean, everybody who was entering that space some years ago lived with it on a daily basis with challenges because there were more questions than answers. Still are. I mean, that there are more questions than answers. With, with, with every aspect. But I think this is the, the moment for Europe actually to lead in, a, in an area where, um, and we, we all know, I mean, Europe, as you said, it's not uh, Europe leading the technology part or the technology area. So this is really, this, and I think that, that that's a big chance we have. And on the other hand, it will solve some of our problems as well because um, I'm, I'm not an economist, but uh, I was told that, that the way companies are getting funded uh, in Europe is, is really different than they, uh, it is in the US. In the US, you go to capital markets and you get your yeah, venture funding. You know? in, in, in Europe, it's mostly banking. You know, Banks are providing that funding. Yeah. And the problem is that we all know that, that is this really not working? No. <laughs> no, precisely. <laughs> so, yeah. This might be a... a Another, like, it will solve some of our problems. And as, as, as I said, for example, if you look at other jurisdictions, this is also a door opener also for legislation. Because yeah. if, you, if you think about what happens in Germany, and I'm not a German lawyer anyway, this is my private point of view, and not, it's not legal advice, disclaimer here. But uh, if you look in Germany, like, 
they talked about uh, amending their securities laws forever, you know? And now with this new blockchain hype, to, to call it that way, you know, it was possible, you know? Yeah. Now they have dematerialized, they're thinking about dematerialization of, of securities. So it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting that uh, with, with that uh, topic, you, you can actually make things happen. And I think we should, if we, and I think we also have to cover the bad or like the other side of, of the metal. Like there is a lot of, yeah, dark things about that, you know, uh, but it's with everywhere, like with everything, it's, it's the same, you know, but I think this technology is actually able to provide solutions uh, where you can address these issues we have with money laundering, uh, financing of terrorism, much better than anything else we have, you know, uh, but we have to do it properly and we have to have a balanced approach. And I think regulation is there one of the key factors. If we have a good regulation yeah. and a good regulatory environment, a good supervisory authorities uh, in your jurisdiction and in Europe, you know, I think we'll be able to, to provide solutions which are just more efficient, uh, more beautiful uh, than, than everywhere else because we have the regulatory uh, base for that because you get legal certainty, which you don't get in other jurisdictions or areas, like, as you said, as you mentioned, some others. And I'm not like... I'm not focusing only like the US is one part. I mean, don't forget about the other part of the world, you know, like China is, yeah. is really catching up or if they're not only uh, already taken, taken over. Yeah, you've mentioned a lot to unpack there. I mean, I, I think there's no question as you described, basically Europe has issues that potentially will drive innovation because as you say, if it's all bank lending, the banks aren't lending. Um, th this is a potentially very innovative solution that can spur basically funding for small enterprise and, and really spur innovation broadly. At the same time, I think also the banks having suffered as they have in Europe, you look at the market caps of European banks versus American banks, they're still largely in the doldrums and they're looking for new business opportunities. So digital assets, what we see in our conversations is this is increasingly viewed as a potentially a strategic offering going forward. And it could reinvent the, let's say the banking stack. Um, yeah, but as you, you mentioned, challenges come and challenges emerging fairly quickly as, as soon as regulation started addressing basically digital assets we have kind of the rise of DeFi, which um potentially pushing pushing even beyond what uh the regulators have, have been thinking about how do you think that's going to impact things and where does that go i think um like that's another very interesting area and um i think with with, with DeFi, it's um when when I was the first time, but when I heard the first time the term DeFi, I was like, "What's that? Like, yeah. is it another buzzword?" Like uh, everybody was was thinking about like, "Let's have the ICO." And after the ICO hype, we were supposed to have the SDO hype, which we all know did <laughs> never happen. We could talk maybe a little bit about that why or this was the case. But uh, decentralized finance is, is a very interesting uh, concept as well, and I think the the and if again if. I, I think what 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 was uh, what was happening is that they analyzed the technology, and uh, if you understood what are really the advantages of the technology, it makes a lot of sense because you um, then get rid of a lot of intermediaries, as we all know, just yeah. like at a level of costs. And uh, also, it's not like it's not only about costs; it's about time. Like you 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 shouldn't have like these transactions are way more fast than um, or could be. Like it, it really depends how you implement it, you know. Um, but on the other hand, like with DeFi, it was like the heart attack, the next heart attack for regulators. Like, what's that again? You see? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so it's con it, it is a constant journey. But in, in my point of view, I, I think, and that, that's actually with everything. Like you, you, you talked about banks. Like they, 
quite a lot of banks they are they are, they are doing projects they are, they have pilots internally that yes that there's not a lot of public information about that because for sure i mean they have to be very careful what products and services they are offering but what we see as well is like now they i mean they they did their homework you know and i think it's uh, uh, we will see more and more products and services from banks where they make use of this technology and 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 actually uh, that it makes a lot of sense for them to use the technology as well and you said like they 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 have a close look at the digital asset space and yes they will they will do baby steps uh, but sooner or later we will see the big steps i think there as well um and with DeFi, as, as I said, I mean, uh, that's, that's the next topic, you know, or th that's actually the actual topic now. We will see what, yeah. what is next, you know, but um, this actually, I think, um, is, is one of the examples why I'm of the opinion that we are just at the beginning. And the, the financial sector was like the, the next, for sure, it was, it was the, 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 the obvious area to cover with these technologies. But there will be many, many more. Uh, so we are we're just at the beginning. And uh, maybe the next hype is, I mean, we would kind of earn a lot of money with that, but digital certificates or whatever, or a, a, a global identity, you know, yeah. that there are a lot of areas where you could use the technology. Well, I think clearly if we tie global identity to digital assets, it's really a, it completely changes what we know of, of, <laughs> from, to a financial identity becomes something that's very universal and uh, inclusive, basically, right? Um, you know, stepping back in terms of, you know, the banks step into this space and regulators focused on, let's say, providing a, a safe way to, for, you know, regulation enables the banks to move. What do you think some of the positive impacts in terms of, let's say, uh, market structure will be from regulation that, uh, that has been lacking prior to the regulation? Um, I think that um, for... Um, Depending on what what the what the the, the service you wanted to provide with, um, it depends if it was if it is possible based on the existing uh, regulatory environment. Yeah. So one of the examples I always make is um, based on the existing regulatory environment. It was actually pretty easy to have security token offerings, so yeah. financial instruments offered in a, in, in a tokenized way. Uh, we have the prospectus regime. We were able, even able to passport that to the European Union. That was pretty clear. Like the regulatory, uh, the regulatory environment was was actually fit for that. That was there was no no. I mean, yes, it was like with everything. If you do that the first time, it's a challenge. Uh, but in the end, uh, if you solve the, the issues, if you if you talk to a regulator and it's possible, then you know how like you paved the way and everybody else can follow. Um, but for example, with the secondary market, it's a different. Piece. And yeah. talking about market infrastructures, um, it's actually interesting because the if you, if you think about the secondary market, so the trading part um, is actually something which is where DLT or, or these new technologies are maybe not the best solutions to provide the trading. But uh, clearing and settlement is something which is actually perfectly done by, by, by this new, new technology. It's actually implemented in every of these technologies. Yeah. So you have like, but you have to differentiate between these two areas. And specifically talking about um, the settlement part, you, you have like, if you look at the European, uh, you, uh, if the EU framework, uh, you have to use a, a central securities depository. So if you think about that, you, you need to use a central securities depository uh, 
And on top of that, you have your blockchain layer. So like you have two systems doing actually the same job. You always have to, uh, to synchronize them and no CSD, I think, would, would ever provide services that like on a large scale because it just doesn't make no sense to use both worlds. And um, so there, and that's maybe one of the reasons I think why, why you still now, you don't have a liquid secondary market for security tokens. You have some security tokens, you had some primary, like uh, uh, you had some offerings already, but you don't have liquidity, you don't have secondary markets. And one of the big reasons I think is actually that, uh, that the, this CSD problem was not actually uh, solved. And because, yeah, there is this, and even like, for example, even if Liechtenstein wanted to solve that, uh, because we are part of the European economic area, as I said, we cannot change that because that's harmonized financial market laws. So we, we, we don't have any room for maneuver there. Uh, so we need anyway, a European Union approach. And with that Nika and DLT pilot regime, uh, we have such, uh, such an idea. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the tokenization has been, I think, something that's really spurred everyone's imagination about its potential, but it's been um, unfulfilled up to now precisely because it's just, it requires, it's a chicken and egg thing. It's fantastic that you can tokenize, but if there's no secondary liquidity, why would you tokenize? I mean, you don't want to do it for the sake of the technology. It's uh, typically issuers go where the liquidity is and investors want assets that are liquid. So if there's no secondary market, it's a showstopper. Um, so that, that would clearly be dramatic if we can address the secondary market and uh, it really would, maybe we'll get back to those very bullish forecasts that we've seen from whether it's World Economic Forum about you know, the future of tokenization may actually become a reality if, if this is a catalyst to, to enable the liquidity. Because there's a number of initiatives, whether it's Switzerland, I know in, in, uh, in uh, sorry, Switzerland or, or in, in Liechtenstein, there's been a lot of initiatives that try to, have tried to start that market, but it's very hard to start it on your own. You need, I think you need this sort of regulatory push to really get it going. Um, you know, as that becomes a reality, you know, I think there's obviously been a lot of experiments in tokenizing securities, but to a large degree, the securities markets work fairly well. I mean, I think it's at least most of us in the developed world wouldn't see much different, basically, right? Um, what do you think the, for you, I think there's a lot of promise around, and we, you alluded to earlier, things like certificates, but what, what do you think tokenization can transform? What are the first candidates from like, let's say, unbankable assets that can be, become bankable assets? I think the the, uh, the projects we we see so far and uh, the ideas we see so far is um, that you that you actually tokenize friction of ownership of physical objects, and uh, that doesn't make any um, like that might not make any sense for for lower wall or low, lower value uh, objects. But yeah. think about a very precious piece of art, the Mona Lisa, for example. Um, and yes, you can do that already. As we all know, you can uh, like uh, set up a special purpose vehicle and yeah. then buy with that SPV, you buy that piece of art or whatever object. And in the end, you tokenize the security or you tokenize the shares again. So that's the structure we all know and that's the structure we are familiar with. But uh, that's again, the concept of having an intermediary. You have a lot of overhead. You have a lot of additional costs. Uh, it's, it's, it's very inefficient. Um, and uh, what, what you could also do is that you have uh, actually the ownership right of that piece of, like, of that object and then actually let the token represent that ownership right. And for that, you need uh, a proper legal framework or like, not, not a proper, I mean, you, you need a legal framework where this is actually happening. And there we don't talk only about um, harmonized or financial market laws. We also talk about civil law 
so that's why, for example, in the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act, we had to amend our corporate act. We had to amend our uh, our property, uh, or we, we had actually to think about amending our property law, and then ended up with doing it in a different way. Um, and have now our own uh, way of disposal of a token, and that this will actually lead to the disposal of the represented right. So this is uh, like a lot of uh, a lot of uh, legal work, you know. But without that, you don't get any legal certainty. So imagine if I will tell you, you know, Shemus, it's it's um, download that app. Uh, I can peer to peer. I can transfer you a tenth of uh, uh, my very precious piece of art uh, in, in, in my background, you know? Um, and then we'll say, yeah, that's fine, let's do that, you know? And in the end, you will come to court because you will tell Thomas, like, uh, I bought the other 90% now, I have 100%, please hand over that piece of art. And uh, then it will come to me because you think that I have the piece of art in my office. And I will tell you, you know, like from a civil law perspective, you never ever actually were the owner of that piece of art. You, you might have a claim, but I'm bankrupt, you know? <laughs> so feel free to, to sue me, but I don't have any money, you know? And this is not my piece of art, it's actually from my wife, you know? And like, you get the point, like there, there, there will be no um, like, transactions or people will not trust these uh, this way of transferring assets when sure. you don't get any legal certainty you have to be able to sue people you have to even like we all know that it's not supposed that you should use a court again to to get to your to uh, to, to your to your rights you know uh, but if something goes wrong you know and uh, if something in the real world uh, goes wrong Yes, you have to be able to go to a court, convince a judge of your of your rights, and then you you should uh, be able to use the power of your jurisdiction to get to your right. Um, and you need you need legal certainty there. Yes, there there is actually another solution. What you could do, you could just say like we already have uh, in our existing legal framework sufficient legal grounds to do that, you know, and then we'll just let the court decide, you know. But this is like. Okay, hoping that, and um, as a lawyer, you know, I have a lot of trust in our courts, you know, they will do sure. that, but it will take years. It will take years to have a, like a, a, file, a legally binding final decision from a court. Uh, so it's, it's just like you're using fast track if you, do, if, if, if you do it the other way around and say like, let's have a legal framework covering most of the issues, you know, and then you get the legal certainty you need uh, to make that happen. And the concept of the Liechtenstein Blockchain Act is actually um, that you, you, a token uh, is legally defined and is able to represent rights. So whatever rights. It's not only, as we said, your, your, uh, your shareholder rights or your voting rights. It's also possible to represent your ownership rights or uh, your rights, uh, for example, if you have IP or intellectual property, it can represent these rights as well. And that's the interesting concept because it's very, very flexible on the one hand, you know, uh, and on the other hand, it provides legal certainty. So it's, uh, and that's the basic concept of it. And you need this, um, you need quite a, a lot of rules to think about uh, how you can make that happen. And I mean, we, we started uh, 1st of uh, January, 2020, and we all know like, it's not the end, like it's not the final version. We will, we will like the courts will have to um, address a lot of questions and a lot of challenges. Uh, so it's, it's the beginning, but I think it's, it's a very good first step into the right direction. And with Mika, like it's, it's the, the next big thing on a European Union level, because that's what people are asking us uh, or the Liechtenstein government specifically. They, they are like, like it, it's interesting to have such a piece of legislation in Liechtenstein, but it's only applicable in Liechtenstein, you know? So what's the point? 
but you have to have at least one good example. Hopefully it's a good example. We, we, we don't know that actually, but um, that others can think about the same as well, you know? And the interesting part is, and, and, and think of that, that you're able to address a 400 million plus market, the European Union market. And that's what actually Mika is proposing, you know? You have passportable products and services through the European Union. And that's interesting. That's impactful, no question. I mean, you've raised an issue, which I, I, and we run out of time, so I'll just ask one last question, but you've raised this issue about, uh, that I often think about, you know, and, and I think you as a software developer, you know, as a oh, former yeah. software developer, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a, and a lawyer, how, how far can we codify the legal framework into a smart, how far do you think we can codify the legal framework into a smart contract? And, you know, if we, is there a world where you can get rid of the courts and, it, you know, governed by rules that are absolute. I mean, is this a, you know, no interpretation, no, no opinion. And is this a, a utopic or a dystopic future? You know, where, where, where does it go? Never say no. I mean, we don't know if, if there will be a solution, but these concepts are actually very, very old. Even like uh, the big codifications of law, uh, they, they already had the idea to, the next codification should be drafted in a way where you don't need any courts again. Everybody can read the, uh, the provision, everybody can understand the provision, and there is no room for argument. It's pretty clear. If this, then that, speaking as a coder. But it's not that simple. Because like, you can actually think of a ton of, 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 of uh, problems and address them with whatever framework you have. And think about coming back to the coding part. Yes, you can think about most of the cases, but we all know that there were hacks. You have like flaws in your code. You have like um, security problems. And what's then? I mean, in the end, you know, I would love to, in speaking as a lawyer, I mean, that's disrupting my, my, my day, daytime work actually. Uh, but I would love to, to, to have a solution where, where everything is automated, you know, uh, because then we can focus on other things like maybe we are bored and then we have to go more hiking or whatever. But uh, seriously, I mean, but this will not happen tomorrow, you know, because, and we already had this, like, uh, think about uh, the DAO hack, you know, like the, Precisely, yeah. the, we already have these experiences. Like it's not code is law. It's that's just not the case. But I think, and that's speaking and as now as an advocate of, of smart contracts, but it makes a lot of sense to have standardized contracts, you know, where like most of it is really standardized. And there are these contracts where, uh, yeah, there is not a lot of room for argument, you know, and then you can automate them. And therefore, I, I think, yes, we will see that smart contracts uh, will actually um, allow, um, allow the way, because think of that, if, if you have a smart contract and it will do what it is supposed uh, to do, and um, it's auto-enforced in a way. You know, the other party already has the money. So you always have to go to the other party and sue the other party, you know? Uh, but uh, if it's not auto-executed and you will not pay, you know, it's easier to say, I will just not pay and the other party has to wait, you know? So the, the idea of suing another party in the other jurisdiction is way harder than getting sued. And therefore, I think just only because of that, for example, I think that smart contracts um, and uh, smart contracts in a way where you have a lot of uh, the, the, the challenges which might arise of this transaction already covered will uh, lead to, to less, hopefully, uh, court, uh, court decisions in that area. But uh, it is a long journey, I think. Where we are like, just one story. I, I had once a presentation, I think it was 2018 or something in front of a hundred lawyers. And uh, the topic was, uh, um, smart con uh, are smart contracts legally binding? Uh, 
And like for the first 15 minutes, I had to convince my fellow colleagues that yes, they are of another opinion that contracts are smart contracts are neither smart nor they are contracts. Right. That's fine. And at least they got the topic. Um, and but I said, like, you can take it as it is, or you can think about whatever it is. I don't care. But in the end, that's just how the industry is calling it. It's smart contract. And uh, think about the concept, and it's really valuable. And we argumented about 10 minutes if the, if the topic, <laughs> if the title of my presentation is, is, is OK, you know, and if they can live with it. So you see, like, lawyers are like, no, no, don't talk about that. Like, it's, uh, it's really not. Now we are at the core of our business, you know. And um, I'm. Me in person, you know, I, I, I always tell people and specifically lawyers, go to the, there are all of these websites where you can check um, if your job is actually in danger because of uh, whatever automated uh, robot rise and coding things like, and just have a look and think about that. You know, this will happen anyway. You cannot do anything about it. And therefore, I think you should, yeah, think about that. And, and I mean, I love to, to, not to do like repetitive tasks every day, like using the same template uh, to changing the parties and then issuing the bill. That's, that's not something where, what, what I go to office for, you know, I want to, to build new things. I want to, to, to really address challenges. Sorry, but that's like, no. smart contract is something I really, I, I love to talk about lawyers and I can talk about for hour, uh, hours about that, but sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it's a topic a lot of people have opinions on. So it's, it's an interesting one. Listen, Thomas, it's been really interesting and I'm sorry we're out of time, but I would love to have you on again because I think there's a lot to unpack and I think this, the whole concept of regulation is, is just going to become a bigger and bigger issue and more and more to dive into. So um, thanks. Um, and I think maybe if you could just say, how can people you know, reach out and connect with you? The easiest way is via email. It's, uh, my email is uh, tn at negale.law. You can find it on our website. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and whatever social media. It's, it's pretty easy. If you uh, Google Thomas Negale, you will, you will find me. And I'm happy to answer questions. I, I, will, I will answer. It will take time, but I will answer. <laughs> well, Thomas, thanks, thanks for being with us today. Thank so you. The, the next Mataka Talks will be on February 5th at 10.30 with Francisco Fernandez. He is the founder of the core banking software provider Avalok that has recently been acquired by NEC. He was a pioneer visionary that uh, early on saw the strategic value of digital assets. And uh, I think it would be a very exciting talk, one you won't want to miss. So until then, see you next time. Thanks for joining. <laughs>